We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Art Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And today we're going to talk about two of the younger Lakers players, Taylor Horton Tucker and Austin Reeves. Darius, you got a good look at them the other night, and they've both had uh, quite different paths to get here, and they're quite different players, even though I think they're both guard forward type guys. But I think they'll both be important factors in where we go this season. I'm very curious hearing your on the ground perspective of those guys Uh, against Golden State. They played pretty well, and I think that what they did in that game will be a big part of what we do going forward. So let's start with THT because I think he's been the more up and down player. I think over the course of the season, it'd be easy to say that he's been a disappointment mm-hmm. relative to the expectations. And if you even wanted to go further, there might be even like some buyer's remorse around the fact that like Alex Caruso is now a Chicago Bull and playing well there. And THT has been so up and down for the Lakers. And the nature of the decision making, the way it was framed at least, is that, well, they couldn't have both and they chose THT, right? And so there's been a little bit of that like, Luca versus Trey Young sort of thing going on with like the Lakers internally around not internally like within the organization but you know like amongst a fan base like oh well which one did you choose and why did you do this versus that I think the last several games he's been a lot better and I thought against Golden State it was like oh look at this kid he is showing why the Lakers value him basically His ability, Pete, to be an on-ball shot creator is super valuable, I think. And there's still some sloppiness in terms of his footwork. There's still some decision-making stuff that I wish was different. But there is a, a forcefulness that he can play with when he's at his best that is important, I think, and is helpful, that actively helps the team. And the confidence has returned. So watching in person, that's what stood out to me the most, is that even if he wasn't making the right decision, at least he was making a decision. And so much of his ineffectiveness this season, I think, has been plagued by indecision 
It's, I don't know what I'm doing. And because I don't know what I'm doing, every idea is just sort of floating out there and I'm half committing to all of these different things. And then when you half commit, you end up not doing anything of substance at all. And so, Mike, you had an even better angle of THT than I did. I'm up in the stands. I, I had great seats, but you're closer to the floor. And so I'd love to sort of get your perspective even more in terms of what THT looked like against a Golden State defense that didn't seem to have a lot of individual answers for him and his ability to get into the paint and, and start to create shots for himself. Well, the first thing is I, I think you could notice where, wherever you're sitting or if you're watching the broadcast is that he's just shooting the basketball better. So he was three for five from three against the Warriors. He was four for six against Portland. And why is that? A, a couple reasons, I think, that lead into a bigger thing. The on the on-court thing that stood out to me, just to answer that part of the question, was partly because Golden State and their guards aren't the most physical in the league. And I thought Russ had similar success in a lot of ways. And so Russ and THT against Golden State in that backcourt, unless they start to switch like Clay or Otto Porter Jr., which they could do late, right? That's who probably should be defending guys like Russ uh, and guys like THT. But I, I'm i curious to where Pete stands on this too, because with, with me, so how did THT start this season? He shot out of a damn cannon, 17 points, 28 points, 25 points in mm-hmm. three games. And guess what else he was doing? Shooting the three really well. So we were all sitting there after that Milwaukee game, which was the third game, right? It was San Antonio, Chicago, Milwaukee. And we're thinking, oh, look at this kid. So THT took a took a leap. Mm -hmm. Then LeBron came back. And I always think so. One of the first times that we started to talk about the third guy, like the third star next to LeBron or or next to any player was like the heat with Chris Bosh. And then the Cavs with Kevin Love. And that's just the third guy. So I'm now kind of slapping myself and us and thinking, well, hold on a second. What did we expect Taylor Horton to do with not just LeBron, but also Russell Westbrook and also Anthony Davis? Uh, and where you, A, you never get the basketball. And when you do, it's against a defense that is completely loaded into the paint, not just because of what you do, but because of what those guys do is also all getting into the paint. It's not like playing with Kyrie and Durant and Harden, say, and a spread floor. Or so, Steph and Clay Thompson. And Durant. Yes. Right? yes. Yeah. So I'm I'm now I don't know, other than like hit his perimeter shots, which which again, like still that's the that's the one real common thread, but maybe there's also some level of just kind of there is a little more role clarity. And him coming off the bench and no more of like like just trying to be the three and D piece that fits in because they've got Stanley for that. They've got to an extent Austin when he comes in for that. So, Pete, there's a, a lot there, but I'm my overarching thought on this stuff is is kind of like a what did we originally really expect from Talon and and, you know, how has he found a way to succeed despite that in these last couple? I think you speak to a fundamental question that's part of that puzzle that we've been talking about all year, where the question with Talon is he's a young player. And as a young player, regardless of what style of player you are, you're figuring out what works for you in the league and what doesn't. And then the counters that you can build off of what works. And that's if you're doing what you normally do. The 
what you said, D, like he doesn't know what he's doing. It's because he doesn't and he didn't because and he's learning, but he didn't because his role was very different. When that paint is clogged and packed because we've got Russ and AD and LeBron and guys, some combination of those three out there, that's a kick out to Talon, who is part of the reason why the paint is clogged in the first place, because they're going to leave him at, you know, as much as they possibly can. And so he's got to hit that that spot up three, which is one of the weakest parts of his game. And so that said, I think that some of the recent couple of things, I think you're spot on, Mike, that we can go through teams of all of our attributes where we have flaws. If if we can go through you, we've got like four, four guys who can do that pretty well, uh, including Taylor off, off of the bench. And so that plays into just a natural advantage that he has. But I've also seen a role change, D, in that I'm seeing him more and more as Russ's backup. Yes. And we've been giving him the ball more and more just and so he's learned some of that off ball stuff, D, but giving him the ball really uh, plays like it's so much more in his comfort zone. Pete, and I'm going to kick it right back to you here. Frank said it like two weeks ago. He said we've he's an on ball player. He, he, he said it. Kalen is an on ball player. And we've been asking him to do a bunch of stuff that's not necessarily what his strengths are because, like, we need him to get the reps, right? And you that would be difficult if he was 26 and been in the league for six, six seven years. No, it would be. And so now he's sitting here, like, and I think Frank, right when Frank said he's an on-ball player, we need to get, get him the reps, his role started to change at that point. And he started to play more in the non-Russ units right and they gave him the ball more and so you're seeing these lineups now where it's like we're gonna get to austin soon but where it's like it's austin and tht and you guys are the ball handlers right sometimes it's the it's no lebron no russ and it's those guys with like anthony davis and it's just like look we know y'all need the ball in order to do things we're gonna give you the ball and let's see what you got. And so that's where the shift, I think, has started to come to is Frank just basically said, what are we doing? Right. Square peg, round hole. Like, no, mm-hmm. we're going to live and die with what you're actually good at. And we're going to give you more chances to do that stuff. hundred percent. And that is part of the reason why the regular season is really important for us is figuring out the OK, so Taylor's starting to lock in place a bit. But a big portion of that is a development in his individual game that I think is important that kind of unlocks everything else. So let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to hit on that. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I see defenses so overloaded into the paint against the Lakers for a multitude of reasons, as we've covered, but also against THT in part because. That is all he was doing. You have to have a counter to the best thing that you do. And he's so good at gathering in weird places. He's a very unconventional player, Mike. And I think that he gets some degree of advantage from that unconventional nature where it's like, oh, I'm not used to guarding a guy that's picking up his dribble that low and can take two steps into this weird backhanded, right-handed layup. But as teams scouted him and he got on the scouting report, they started taking that away to such a severe degree that I'd been yelling at my TV so much this year, Mike, when Taylor has the ball, like, like use that little turnaround jumper or pull up at the elbow and that pull up at the elbow, especially, especially when he's going left, that's a shot that I'm seeing him incorporate more and more, Mike. And I, I know that you know, Phil Handy and the player development staff, and they've been working with him, you know, for quite some time on developing his game. But that's the big thing that I see with THT is that he's actually got a really good primary move. It's just, just like a major league pitcher. If you throw 98, 100 miles an hour, but if all you do is, is that eventually hitters are going to catch up to that. And I think we've seen that around the league. I'm starting to see Taylor adjust to that. I'm just curious to uh, uh, about your thoughts. And we've had a few pretty good young players come through and kind of go through this process over, over the last few years. Well, if that's the case, right. And he, and he does just naturally develop that kind of a counter move. And he has started to figure out a little bit more what this, what the right thing to do in that role is, then that's really good news moving forward, not just for the rest of the season, but for next year. And I also think that coincides these last couple with the trade deadline and, and Taylor, especially at his young age in the NBA, we always think about the hearing your name in the trade rumor stuff, but I think it, it's probably different for Trevor Ariza, who's been traded this amount of times. Well, maybe that's a bad example because he's been traded more than anybody else ever. So he may, do you think Trevor like wakes up sometimes in worrying that a text is going to come through? You know, about <laughs> or like maybe diff- not knowing what city he's in, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh like, man. So so it's like but the club. point is <laughs> nonetheless, he's handled it, right? He is he at least has handled it and he's gone on to play in different spots. So that could be part of this too, where the mental clarity that comes with the role somewhat mm-hmm. crystallizing has also come now for this this next half of the season where I'm here. I'm going to be here. I'm going to get these minutes regularly. And and then so then, Pete, that can open up the oh, yeah, by the way, when you get into the paint and this is what the defense is doing, like you really do have to think about when a player you're being guarded by somebody in, in the league like that. And you're a scheme that the other coach is trying to screw you up in. And it's easy for us to sometimes sit back while we're watching in person or on the TV and be like, well, dude, just go just do the other thing right from the for 360 sure. view. And and for LeBron James, it's like that 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 now he already has all that. Like that's not you're not going to throw something at him, and he'll still make mistakes. But that's I think the encouraging part of this for however you want to put it, Pete. Like the whatever the X's and O part of it that you see. Well, I think that it's all tied together in that 
I think the game got faster. Usually when you get more experience, you, the game slows down for you. But when you have a role change, you're in positions where, okay, they've skipped it over to me and it's a, a two on one on the weak side. Do I shoot this three? Do I swing it? Do I attack the closeout? It's these situations where as the on-ball guy throughout his career, he's the one that's made the kickout pass throughout his life. And so I think it sped up the game to a certain extent for him in a way that makes those decisions like those can can zip by without you like the opportunity was available for him the whole time but now he's gotten enough of those rips and is getting more on ball reps to where just things look a little bit slower for him there was a possession d against i think the houston rockets where he had one of their smaller guards on his hip and a landed the basket earlier in the season and he was just like looking for his kick out and whereas Taylor a year ago just like bodies him and go rides that up strong and, and makes the layup right and so i think that's a big part of it i'd love to hear your thoughts on that but also the defensive end with him d that I've seen him give a multitude of different types of high-level players. He gave Steph some problems here and there. I thought he did a decent job on Clay. He'd had some good possessions on Jimmy Butler earlier in the year, Donovan Mitchell. Again, these are just in little uh, stretches, but his on-ball defense in particular, I think, is a component of his emergence that I don't want to skip over before we move on to Austin. No, sure. And so one last point about his offense really quickly. The second, the difference, and I think this applies to Austin too, is the difference between being a strong side player and a second side player. It's a different view of the court. Mm -hmm. And understanding what your reads are is getting Talon back to doing strong side stuff is important for his success. Also too, like some guys don't shoot the spot up jumper the same way that they shoot the step back jumper. Now the step back jumper is a worse shot right for pretty much everyone in the league but guess what if shooting the step back allows you to get your footwork right and you feel comfortable doing that then you're probably going to shoot that shot with more confidence whether or not it goes in more or not is okay like when you're shooting 28 percent from from three like one more make it, or it's not going to be this major difference, right? But the idea of playing with confidence, I think getting him back into a more natural role role for him is, is making all of these things um, happen for him with more confidence. And that's what's shining through most to, to me, especially with the shooting numbers that Mike highlighted earlier. Regarding the, the defense, we said this a lot, man, but he's got defensive tools that you you cannot teach this stuff, right? And so... You look at a player like Alex Caruso, it's all instincts. It's all reads. It's all, I'm pre-rotating. I'm jumping this screen. I am I am fighting over the top of this and sticking my nose in here and, and getting this, this deflection. It's tactics, right? Talon is all tools. He's not tactics. He's tools. And so he is stocky and strong. He's got the length of a center. Right. And so one of the reasons why he bothers players is because he reaches in and it's just like, wait, why is your hand on the ball? He also reaches in and he commits fouls. Right. And so he's got to clean up some some of this stuff, too. But the ability to make defenders feel you, I think, is way more important than how effective you are in terms of your positioning at times. And Talon, because he's stocky and he's got a lower 
um, center of gravity. He can get underneath you in ways that make you feel like, oh, and then, okay, he's underneath me, but why is his contest so high still? Mm -hmm. Because he's got this amazing length. And so there's ways that he, in that unconventional nature that you talked about off offensively, he can be a similar defensive player because there's not a lot of guys really any anyone in the entire league that has his sort of build as a perimeter guy you may need to go back to a player like chuck hayes as a center right where it's just like okay you're you're a six six or six seven center you're super low to to the ground but you've got like seven foot two length and it's like how do you work as a defensive player. And that's kind of what Talon does, but as a guard, right? And, and so there are times where guys shoot over the top of him, Mike, but a lot of times too, he is he is just putting that big paw up there and it's just like, oh, wait, you're bothering me in a way that I did not expect. So Talon in the game uh, was plus 17. And the only other element here is to try to think about, well, uh, we're going to get into Austin in a second here, but in the idealized lineup, even without Kendrick Nunn being available and Taylor playing like this now, it's you have to kind of pick who you're going to have on the floor. And if you want Taylor on the floor, it's really hard to also have Austin unless. So maybe, Pete, that could be part of what we get into here is like, how do you keep what is the optimal minutes level? For Taylor, uh, he played and he played thirty. By the way, like he played a good amount, but he didn't close because Frank. Won- and we know that Frank, uh, you know, is going to go back to Avery Bradley in certain situations. And Bradley was, you know, Bradley hit a pair of threes. He was pretty decent on Steph. He had a couple of steals. Like so, he Bradley, I thought actually was pretty good in that game. But what situations do you for sure want Taylor on the court versus what the other options are at guard? Is is interesting to me. Yeah, and it speaks to kind of the roster composition in that. One thing I've been thinking about the last couple of days is that AD's three ball kind of going away from him has really altered a lot of the the conditions of the team, right? Like the thought was that we can go five out, that we can you know have a perimeter threat. Now he's still a perimeter threat in that he can drive to the rack um, from you know if he's matched up with a slower footed big or if he's got a size advantage, he can go over the top. But we don't utilize that a, a whole lot. But as a result. Like AD's had, he's made one three over the last nine games that he's played in. And he's, you know, we all know how poorly he shot this season from distance. And when you combine that with Russell Westbrook, like the ideal, ideal lineup is that Russell Westbrook's the worst shooter you have on the floor. Then you throw Taylor Horton Tucker into that mix. Darius, you can see how it starts to get a little more and more complicated. So on the other side of the break, let's talk lineup fit and uh, move on into Austin. So Talon provides some of that two-way play that a lot of our role guys especially don't provide. But there is this broader question of you need to have a certain amount of shooting on the floor that AD and Russ and LeBron – I don't think that basically – I don't think THT can be on the floor with Russ in a closing lineup. I think it'd be an either-or type of thing to very indirectly but finally directly answer your question, Mike. That's kind of where I am. I I think – and even then, I think you're – right on the precipice of not having enough shooting D. That's what they saw in the Knicks game. And so I'd love to hear Mike's comments here, but it's like, that's what happened against the Knicks. Like Russ was bad down, down the stretch. Frank said, yeah, you're not going to play in the OT. And they replaced him with Talon. Right. And it, it's because he's the most natural Russ replacement 
on the roster. He's the guy who mimics his game the closest in terms of the backup guys, not counting LeBron because LeBron can mimic anyone. First of all, I, I think I misspoke earlier. So THC was plus eight. I think I might have said plus 17. He had 17 points. So apologies for if that, uh, if, if that went. You were like, wait, what happened? How was he plus 17? He wasn't. Now, Russ played 35 minutes and THC played 30. So clearly, they had a pretty healthy amount of overlap mm-hmm. uh, against the Warriors. And to Pete's point, and, and Darius backing it up, like, yeah, that that does change a little bit of the way that the defense particularly can play. However, that combo on the other side of the floor where the Lakers were pretty good, save for the Warriors going off for uh, on threes in the fourth quarter, Russ engaged and THG is a pretty good defensive backcourt, especially mm-hmm. compared to say Russ and Monk. So it's, we're right back to where we were guys in the preseason where we're like, well, the guy who's shown last year that he can do both of these things is Kent Bazemore, you know, who's going to defend and has some length. And like we knew Ariza wasn't going to be able to play yet. And it's right back to like I was on Spectrum last night. And like, well, what, what is it that you want? And you guys will be shocked to hear a big two way wing. So that's <laughs> that still is the rotation rotation piece that is going to be absent here. And in the meantime, it's just jiggering and figuring out matchups and when to deploy Talon and Austin and Avery and Malik. And there isn't always an immediate perfect answer for that, especially in concert with Russ. Our four highest paid players, their jump shot is either the weakest or one of the weaker parts of their game. And so what that means is you are going to have that overlap. And I think, Darius, what that means is that the other three guys say you're going to have to play Talon and Russ together. But maybe that's when AD's not on the court. Maybe those are your LeBron at the five lineups and Mello and Monk are at the other two spots. I think it speaks to how delicate the lineups are uh, as a function of the lack of shooting amongst our highest paid players. Yeah, and I think that it speaks to the idea of what are our foundational tools and how are we building this team. And the Lakers built their team a very specific way. They built it around ball handling and rim pressure And then the rest of the role players are like shooter types, but you can't throw five ball handling rim pressure guys on the court at the same time and say, oh, well, we've got so much of this. It's going to work. It's just like, no, no, actually, it's not right, because all you're doing is you're making the defense's job easier. It's like basically saying, all right, well, uh, if you're playing football, we've got our five offensive linemen. And then we're putting in two tight ends and three running backs. It's just like, guess what you're doing? I, th- I think we're running the ball. Yeah. <laughs> like on this possession. <laughs> yes. Right. And, yes. and so you then trigger a reaction from the defense as to how you make their jobs easier and finding the right balance is important. And when you talk, you've talked a lot about alignment, Pete, but one of the things that causes misalignment a lot is innate lack of balance within your roster and within Mm -hmm. skill sets, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard to be aligned if, okay, well, our four best players all do this one thing and all don't do this other thing. And so, yeah, go make it work, right? And like, okay, well, we got you this shooting and that fits in, but yeah, they don't really defend. And so it's like, oh, and on top of that, you've got five guys who are six, nine and over and everyone else is six, four or under. Go make it work. Seriously, handle it. Right. Because that's basically what happened to this team. Mike was just like, yeah, let's find the right guard rotation. And then he named six guards. (laughs) Right. And and so let's transition to Austin here because Austin is one of those guards. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm interested to sort of hear your guys' thoughts about Austin's development, but also where he's sort of been these last week and a half, because I think he's shining through as someone who was super important and needs to play a fair amount. Mike, I think he's the one role player that we have that's a two-way player that you can play in any lineup. Like even Stanley, I love Stanley. There are some lineups where he contributes to that lack of shooting, right? There are some lineups where Malik is just getting picked on defensively or Avery doesn't have the offensive juice. Teams will target Austin. And I think as Laker fans, we've been like, ah, you know, he's, he gets all these stops and he he's good there, but there's also a reason why they target him. But of all of our role players, he's on a team that is so sensitive in terms of the lineups that it can play. He's one of the very few guys that I can't think of a lineup where it's like, oh, you can't play Austin here. And I think on this team in particular, that's, that's really valuable. So to deal with one of the things you just said first, you said, so teams target him. And I think it's a mix. The biggest part is how he looks. The second part of that is his just, I was going to say lack of size, but in terms of kind of width, right? If you just look at him versus looking at a THC or something, for example. But if you really watch closely and then you see the results of targeting him, I don't think it goes as well as it seems like it would on paper. And there are a couple of reasons for that. He's smart. He competes and he battles. And so, yes, you may target him and sometimes you may be able to bully him under the, the rim and you may be able to finish, but you're going to get called for a charge on one of those plays. Uh, you're going to get stripped on one of those plays. Right. And so it's not it's not as good as it looks, I think. And teams eventually figure that out some and then go in a different direction. And so he what he represents to me in a lot of ways is and this is the kind of player that I love. You don't have to take him off the court in almost in most situations. And that right there, especially given what the roster has been this year, is a major boon and blessing for a coach. And I I think that he he fits into that nicely. And. I'll reveal a little bit of personal bias in this because on Spectrum last night, they, it was Valentine's Day, and they asked for us to have going into the show, what's one thing that you love and for this NBA season? It could be anything you want. It could be a player. It could be a thing. It could be whatever. And uh, Bresnahan was on the show, and he said something different. And my immediate response to the producer was just Austin Reeves. It was the first thing that came into my mind about this season. And... I then thought, I, I don't know, is that too direct? Maybe I should say Arkansas boys and, you know, give Malik a little bit of love because he's kind of fun to watch it. But like, no, nope, I'm just going to stick with Austin Reeves. And I also cited all of the off-court stuff uh, that, Darius, you actually brought up to me in your observations of watching Austin around the court. And just so I thought maybe that would be a good thing for you to share uh, with the masses. Yeah, man, like pregame. And so, look, I don't go to a lot of games. And so when I do go go to games, I really do like to go out early and get on the court and just sort of see how everyone looks and like what their nature is pregame, right? And So g- game started at 530. Darius was out there at about 315, 330, just like standing yeah, on the court, right yeah, next to yep. the hoop, standing in the spot. Yeah, I'm standing there. I'm with my boy, Logan Murdoch, sitting down two seats away from me is Mark Spears. Right. And so it was great to see a legend and OG like like Mark Spears there. And so I'm just chilling and I'm watching the guys who are out there do their pre pregame work. I was watching THT shoot. I was watching a bunch of guys and I got a picture of Austin and he's just sitting there on the bench. He's sitting there. He's talking to Kurt Ramvis who was there at the game. And so he's chatting up Kurt a little bit and they're joking around a little bit. And then 
Austin starts to work with Dwight a little bit and Dwight is doing his pregame work and he's just, he's just a ball of life and smiles and energy. And I'm talking about Austin here and he's throwing entry passes to Dwight and he's putting a bunch of spin on it and throwing them high and he's just joking around. Right. And then he's moving around the court and then Mike Penberthy comes up to him and he's like joking around with Mike Penberthy and he's like talking to him. And then he's alternating between making jokes with Penberthy and throwing entry passes to Dwight. And it's just all smiles and energy and just good vibes from this kid. Right. And then right at the end of that, Dwight's Dwight's workout is done. In comes Phil Handy, who was across on the other side of the court. He comes and gets Austin and then it's work time now. And now Austin is in it and he's doing his pregame work with Phil Handy. And I was just like, look at this kid, man. Like he is mature. He is, you could tell his teammates respect him. You could tell he's a bringer of good energy and good vibes. And then at the end of all that, you could tell that he's about the work. And I was just like, I love this kid. So when Mike is saying that on Valentine's Day, he's like, you know, oh, what what do I love from this season? It's it's Austin Reeves. My sense is that that's probably a universal feeling amongst everyone within the organization. His teammates, I bet, love him. I like he just seems like one of those really good kids that understands why he's there and doesn't take it for granted at all. And it's one of the off the court things that I really appreciate about him. And I think that shines through on the court too, Pete. It does to a point where I actually think he has too much of that. Like, Uh, I like that in someone. He's one of our five best players, and I'd like him to view himself that way. Um, And I think that we've seen so many flashes like that fourth quarter and second half or and just in general, he was more aggressive as a scorer, like on the floor. That's really where it comes what it comes down to, because the way he fits into this broader idea of. We don't have many guys that are interchangeable and we need shooting to put along our best players, but a lot of our shooters don't play defense. He's one of the few guys that we have that is an okay shooter. He's not a great shooter, but he's an okay shooter that that does play defense, that that interchangeability. He is going to receive Mike so many passes and has when he's on the floor with the best players in those closing lineups, he's going to get the ball. And his first instinct is to swing it and to make the good team play. And it's great. He's great as a wheel greaser. But I'm seeing more of him as a finisher. I'm starting to see him realize like, yo, I can score at this level of basketball where he was like an 11% usage guy earlier in this year. I haven't looked at his, his usage numbers. He's probably still, still quite low, but uh, Austin shoot the ball, right? This has been a theme this year, Mike. I'm seeing a, a guy that's more and more starting to realize that not only does he belong and want to make good vibes for everyone, like he can assert his will on a game in ways that we don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of guys like that. Let me, let me push back here. Some, let me push back a little bit. the, so Austin, uh, to, to add one more element of the kind of behind the, the behind the scenes stuff, when we come out of a hotel and go onto the bus, a lot of times Austin will be on my bus. There'll be fans that'll be lined up and they'll they'll just be like really wanting the players to go over and sign autographs. And I think the way, the way Austin, he'll look over and he'll be like, you got me? No, man. You're like, you guys don't want me, right? And, and he knows that LeBron James is behind him and Carmelo Anthony is coming out of... So that is part of the same thing, I think, on the court where where at times he's looking over. He's like, well, hold on, like LeBron's over there. And I do think that speaks to so Pete, from a pure basketball 
just watching the game perspective and skill set, of course, what you're saying is true. But I think part of his part of the good vibes and the unselfishness and the extra pass is exactly what this team needs, even if it sometimes comes at the expense of of a play or of Austin being aggressive in like he's got a 7.0 net rating this year, which is the best on the team by a ton. Number two is Malik Monk at 3.1. And and so I don't know I, that I, I don't know if that's even direct pushback. I just I think that that Austin has to keep following his own instincts. And as like next year, he'll be more confident even. Right. And that will that will evolve naturally. I don't want him to sort of try to try to overplay to the, the things that aren't coming naturally to him right now, because his overall package to me is still working so well with this group that I don't want him to change something now. I want that to come over time. Well, not to speak for Pete, Mike, but I think one of the things is that instincts evolve as well, right? And starting to understand yep. where you fit fit in and can you take a bigger piece of the usage pie in, in, and still be as, as effective. I think that's an area of growth for Austin. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to then turn into like this high usage guy and now I'm at like even 20% usage, right? But he, Pete, you mentioned 11%. It's still at 11%. And the Lakers are two-thirds of the way through their regular season now. There was a possession, and I can't remember who the Lakers were play, playing against, but the game it was at a point in the game where it was very up and down, back and forth, back and forth, back, back and forth. And Austin got a ball early in transition. It was like early offense, and he got it before half court. He dribbled up, and he literally took a pull-up three. And I was just like, hey, look at Who's you. Who's this guy? Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. He missed it. Right. But I'm that's just okay. like, like, hey, man, good for you. Because that's that's an open shot. And that's a good yes. shot. And so he doesn't have to do that all of the time because that does go against his nature, Mike. And I think as a connective player, he understands where he fits in to the ecosystem of this specific team. And that's not going to change this season with this specific team. But as the team evolves and hopefully he continues to be a part of it, his role will change. And I'm hopeful for when those opportunities start to come to him. Because one of the things that I see in him, Pete, is that in a team full of LeBron James is right with LeBron and Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis and even THT. Those are all strong side players. Austin is a second side player. He can get action at the point of attack and he got all the way on a layup, right? And he will beat guys in ways because in the same way that they target him defensively, they think he ain't got enough juice to get by me, but he's got that first step. But as a second side guy, he is so smart and makes a bunch of great decisions. So to avoid, I, I don't want this to sound like I'm talking out both sides of my mouth, but I Austin was a high usage player in college. So his He's senior year, his senior year, yeah. he was 27.7 uh, at Oklahoma, and he took 12.6 shots a game. But that actually seems low. It's because he got to the free throw line a ton, 6.8 free throw attempts uh, in 34 minutes. So he's there's no question that he's got that in him. I, I guess what what I'm trying to protect is the balance of this team with all of the high usage guys that are there with Russ, with THT, with LeBron, with AD, like that's the part where I think Austin being such a basketball savant is like this, this group needs a connective piece. 
Not to say that he doesn't have the ability, Pete, and sometimes maybe it is the right choice. And he and he did attack a couple closeouts really well and finished. They had the floater in the lane. I just um I just I get I a hundred percent get where Austin's coming from, just being out there and being like, Well, look, this guy probably isn't gonna be as effective low usage as I can be. And so I'm gonna do that a little bit more. Yeah, of course it's this mental and emotional journey where there have been a few times where it's like him and four future Hall of Famers on the court. And there's got to be some degree of internal like, oh, yeah, just I'm surreal. not supposed to. Sh- yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not supposed to like, shoot wait, the what? shot here. Right. But he's out, he's got so many ball fakes and jump stops. And both of his parents were basketball players. And it really shines through in his game. He's got a lot of just a lot of tools where I think ultimately in the situation he's in, one of the most unselfish things he can do is be aggressive because he's capable of like Austin's got a 20, 25 point night in him between now and and the end of the season, if he's aggressive. And the reason why I view that as being unselfish is that there is such a log jam around the basket due to the fundamental nature of our roster, right? All of our very best players are great at that. Their jumper with the exception of LeBron, who's more 50, 50, right? But in aggregate, way better around the rim than on their jumpers. And so having players that can loosen that up without being terrible on defense and actually an asset on defense is really important. And so I think that's the connecting idea between both Kalen and Austin is be yourself and confidently step into the offensive roles that you're capable of stepping into. And I think we're seeing little flickers of that here and there. Uh, we will be back tomorrow to uh, we got we'll preview the Utah game, talk some more Lakers. Uh, until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. And Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock now to five. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Albert Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good. Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers. James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.